0: It's Thursday, September 20th, and this is The Daily Dive. The FBI is embarking on an effort to better understand the psychology behind mass shooters. In a sign of how common these types of killings have become, a new study would mirror past research on serial killers and assassins. Zusha Ellenson, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about a proposed FBI study that would interview mass shooters to find patterns in their background, thinking, and behavior. Next, Elon Musk continues to be in the news, but not always in the best ways. He is feeling heat from all over right now as he faces two investigations by the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission over tweets he made about taking Tesla private. Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios, joins us to talk about why funding secured may be the two costliest words ever tweeted, and also who will be going on the first SpaceX moon voyage. Finally, we all want a deal when looking to fly, especially if we are trying to fly overseas. There recently has been a rise in the low-cost, long-haul airline, with deals that may be too good to be true. Sue Yoon, business and tech reporter for ABC News, joins us for a story that is just that. Imagine booking a cheap ride to Paris, showing up to the airport, and finding out that your flight doesn't exist anymore. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: They still are the ones that seem to inspire the most fear, sort of like serial killers used to do. And in that same way, I think the FBI is trying to get into their heads to try to prevent these things from happening. Decades ago, they went into prisons and started interviewing serial killers to try to understand why they did what they did. Joining us
0: now is Zusha Ellenson, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. We found your article. It caught my eye. The FBI is trying to understand the psychology of mass shooters. It's so interesting that we're talking about this right now. There was just a shooting that happened at a Wisconsin workplace. It was at a software company called WTS Paradigm. A shooter went in and shot a few people. I think three were injured overall and then police shot him. He ended up dying later in the hospital. We don't know too much about what his motives were, but this is exactly the kind of thing that the FBI is trying to understand mass killings have become more commonplace. What is the FBI trying to do specifically?
1: I think you make a really good point. I feel like these days, mass shooters are sort of one of the most feared killers in the country. And even though they sort of make up a tiny fraction of annual total of the homicides in the country, they still are the ones that seem to inspire the most fear, sort of like serial killers used to do. And in that same way, I think the FBI is trying to get into their heads to try to prevent these things from happening. Decades ago, they went into prisons and started interviewing serial killers to try to understand why they did what they did and to see if they could help them catch them in the future. For anyone who watches Netflix, that whole story is being chronicled right now on
0: Mindhunters. Yeah, it was one of my favorite shows of the past year.
1: Absolutely. And so what we're seeing now is sort of modern day Mindhunters. They're, they're trying to figure out why these guys are going out and, and shooting a bunch of people.
0: Why would they do a, a mass shooting trying to target multiple people, Rather, you know, if they had a specific grievance, you'd just go and kill the inv- individual person or something. Why do you have to do this on a larger scale?
1: Absolutely. So what the FBI is, they've started doing research. They looked at case files of 63 active shooters, and, and they found some things that may be counterintuitive to people. They found that just a quarter had been diagnosed with mental illness, which is really interesting. That's,
0: that's such an interesting one because I feel like after something like this happens, we always hear that there was some suspect mental instability in these people. And sometimes they had been referred to professionals at some point.
1: Right. You do hear that. And it is interesting, too. Whenever I, I cover a mass shooting, often people will say after I've gotten home, they're like, well, that guy must have just been crazy, right? Right. right. And people like to say that. But I think what the FBI is finding as they do the research, well, that, that's not really the case. And what they're finding is these guys really plan these things out. It starts usually with a grievance. They may have thoughts of suicide and they may think this is a way to go out with a bang and that they do take time planning these attacks and generally just don't snap. And, and this is the sort of research that they hope will help people spot these people beforehand, and this is the type of research that people who are called sort of threat assessment professionals, these people whose job it is to pick out who may be the next attacker, either at a school or a business, they use this research as well. But there's only so far this research can go when they're looking at case files. They don't know what's going on inside these guys' minds. Of course, a lot of them do end up killing themselves or getting killed, but there are sort of a growing number that have survived in recent years. And so they want to interview these guys to see when, you know, when these grievances switch to violent plans and when these violent plans sort of switch to an attack happening, when does this happen and what are the triggers and all that sort of stuff. And that's what they hope to get by talking to these people.
0: We had mentioned how common it's been getting. Four of the five deadliest shootings that have happened in modern U.S. history happened in the past six years. And, and specifically, the, the Vegas shooting that happened, Stephen Paddock, we don't even know the motive. I think they kind of closed the case on that even because they they couldn't find anything. There was no manifesto or something that he left behind. You're right. We need to set up these profiles of people so that we can try to figure something else when there is no other information.
1: So if you look back at some of the past studies that the Secret Service and the FBI have done on these type of issues where they interviewed offenders, they were able to come up with some really counterintuitive findings that shed a lot of light on who these attackers are. For instance, in the 90s, the Secret Service took a look at um, people who had either tried to kill a famous person or a politician or actually succeeded in doing it. And they found a number of things. One of those things they found is that political ideology was not really a a big driver of these attacks, which you might have thought, you know, them being political assassinations. In fact, more often people did it for fame or because they were looking to commit suicide.
0: Yeah. I think some other interesting things that were in that study, they said that on average, each shooter displayed four to five concerning behaviors that people could tell, you know, Hey, he's off. His mental Mm -hmm. health seems wrong. And in a lot of cases, uh, 41%, I thought was quite a high number. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Forty-one percent of these cases, the behavior was reported to law enforcement, and those are the worst ones where they say, mm-hmm. "Hey, we, you know, we had a beat on that guy." Someone did say something, and then it falls through the cracks. I mean, it's so interesting to see what this study could lead up to, and even some of the people you spoke to said this study could shed a light on the role that the internet plays in these shooters' preparation.
1: Yeah, uh, we talked to a guy named Stephen White who has a threat assessment firm up here in the Bay Area, and he was really interested in seeing if these shooters are talking online and getting encouragement or, or doing research and finding out how to carry out these attacks. He was curious about the effect of that. People are really also interested to see in talking to the people who survived, these uh, mass killers that survived, about when did they tell anyone about it, if they told anyone about it. Because they're really trying to figure out, you know, how, how could we prevent this in the future?
0: The only thing with this, as exciting and, and much needed as it is, this was going to take years to, to fully do a study and, and come out with some key findings.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it would take a long time. They've already interviewed a couple people, and I think they hope to continue doing it.
0: Zusha Ellenson, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Oscar. Really appreciate it.
2: Is that a joint? Or is it a cigar?
0: It's um, marijuana it's inside weird. of uh, tobacco. Oh, okay. So it's like posh pot, tobacco yeah. posh. You never had that? Yeah, I think I tried one once. Come on, man. You, <laughs> you probably can't because stockholders, right?
2: I mean, it's legal, right? It's totally legal. Okay.
0: How does that work? Do people get upset at you if you do certain things? Joining us now is Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios. Let's talk a little bit about. Elon Musk and all the stuff surrounding him. He's kind of going crazy if you read certain things. He's planning a mission to the moon, around the moon, I should say. But let's start off with some of the big investigations he has. He's being investigated by the Department of Justice and the Security Exchange Commission.
3: A little over a month ago, Elon Musk sent a tweet which simply read, quote, am considering taking Tesla private at $420 funding secured. So the bottom line here is that really only Elon Musk knows the full story. And he has since gotten himself in some trouble for not being very transparent with his shareholders He eventually admitted that the tweet was actually just an expression of interest from a Saudi sovereign wealth fund. But now both Musk and his electric car company, Tesla, are under criminal investigation by the Department of Justice, which is looking into these now-aborted plans to take the company private. In addition, there is a continuing civil investigation by the SEC, which is conducting a separate inquiry into the details of this same tweet that inaccurately claimed to have had funding secured for the deal. But to be clear here, according to a statement from the company, they have not received a subpoena by the Justice Department, nor have they received a request for testimony or any other formal process. And so the real fear now for Tesla, its shareholders, is that the government could find some sort of accounting or management problem that has nothing to do with the take private fiasco but amid all of the these two separate investigations we'll just have to wait and see what these departments really do find
0: once they start snooping into your stuff they could find a whole host of other things But the company is still not in a terrible situation. I know shares have dropped a little bit, but this whole thing is, uh, you know, Tesla and SpaceX. It's being sold on the promise of Elon Musk. He's the man when it comes to all this. And so some of these other things not meeting production standards for the Model 3, they kind of go by the wayside a little bit because everybody just puts so much faith in him.
3: Absolutely. And Tesla remains in a fundamentally good spot despite these mishaps. The company has sold more pure electric vehicles than any other company in the world. The stock price has been on a roller coaster for months. It dropped really sharply after the Justice Department news, but it has hardly collapsed. So despite these hiccups from Elon Musk, especially in his personal life, the company as a whole seems to be be on track to remain
0: successful. Let's move over to a few more of those personal life hiccups. A few weeks ago, he uh, got caught up when he went on to Joe Rogan's podcast. He was smoking marijuana, drinking whiskey. And I looked at that video. He really only took one puff. It wasn't like he was getting high and going wacky, all crazy, but I know that people are concerned. He, he you know, he told the New York times he's tired all the time and it's tough running Tesla And uh, then he goes on and he smokes marijuana and he's been known to take Ambien and late night tweets and things like that. So people are concerned with him and how he is running the company.
3: Exactly. And Elon Musk's actions in that Joe Rogan interview revealed A personal side of him, but some analysts have argued that his behavior is more erratic than it is charming and that it's creating some distraction for the company. Tesla board members have also raised concerns over Elon Musk's consumption of recreational and prescription drugs. And in particular, according to the New York Times, Musk use of the sleeping in Ambien, they say may be having a negative effect on him, causing him to ramble on Twitter. Uh, Musk acknowledged that he is spread way too thin and and told the New York Times that there were times where he didn't leave the factory for three or four days, when he didn't go outside, uh, that he spent all 24 hours of his 47th birthday at the office. And again, that he often takes Ambien in order to sleep. So some of these behaviors are pretty concerning to employees shareholders and really the public, a lot of fans of the company and fans of Elon Musk.
0: Yeah. It's so crazy. And, and, you know, with guys like this, they, you know, they have these genius minds. There's always stuff bumping around in their brains. And I think he even told Joe Rogan, he's like, people wouldn't like to be me because I have, I, I can never rest. I have so many thoughts going on all the time. So many projects. And that leads us right into the other project that they just announced. He's building a new rocket to loop around the moon. The first customer that he has is a uh, a guy named Yusaku Maezawa. He's a founder of an online Japanese clothing company, and he's spending millions, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to fly in Elon Musk's rocket around the moon. Right. And so
3: if this project is successful, Maezawa will be the first ever private tourist to Take such a trip around the moon and Elon Musk plans to do this by 2023. But the Uh, the rocket's
0: not even built yet.
3: It's not built yet, which is a big question mark for a lot of people that have been following these developments. But this Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maezawa seems to be really, really excited about these plans. He said that he's planning to take six to eight artists with him on this trip and said that he won't be charging them for the ride. Uh, But Elon Musk wouldn't disclose how much that Maezawa is paying for the trip, but said that Uh, It's a non-trivial amount that will help fund the company's new big Falcon rocket, which is supposed to be even bigger and even more futuristic looking and will be designed to eventually accommodate up to 100 passengers on flights to the moon or to Mars or maybe even beyond. So a lot of people are really fired up about these plans.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's going to be no shortage of Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX news coming in the next few years. He's really one of the most exciting characters of our time. So I'm going to keep following him because I love all the antics and I love all of the cool space stuff and the cool technology. We'll see you what happens. People. Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you very much.
2: She had gone to the airport, she was going to Paris, and she was excited. It was one of those, like, I'm at the airport, I'm going, you know, I'm going to Europe post. And then a couple of hours later, she posted, I don't think my flight exists.
0: Joining us now is Sue Yoon, business and tech reporter for ABC News. We found your next article. I loved it right away because this is one of those things that everybody's always curious about. There's a lot of new uh, low-fare, low-cost, long-haul airlines that are willing to take you all the way across the ocean to Europe and things like that. And you always think, hey, man, these, these prices are pretty amazing. Is it too good to be true? And you have a story for us about a new airline carrier called Level. And in their case, it was too good to be true. What happened?
2: I was also one of those people that was bombarded with Facebook and Instagram ads about these low cost carriers. So, Level had crossed my radar. And someone I saw on Facebook had posted one night that she had gone to the airport. She was going to Paris. And she was excited. It was one of those, like, I'm at the airport. I'm going, you know, I'm going to Europe posts. And then a couple of hours later, she posted, I don't think my flight exists. And I got in touch with her and I talked to her. And basically, she she showed up at the airport, she had bought a ticket, she had received an email confirmation from the company, and when she went in to check in and check the gate, she couldn't find it. There, there was nothing on the board. One of the complications, I think, for some customers is there are several different operating companies. Level is owned by the same parent company that owns British Airways and Iberia Airways, and, and there was also an operator through British Airways called Open Skies. So she finally got to a BA counter and a woman told her that airline hasn't started yet.
0: She got a steal of a deal. It was 179 bucks to go from uh, Newark, I think it was, to Paris. And, you know, it's one of those things like, wow, I'd have to book that if I saw that anywhere. You put a couple of screenshots also of her confirmation emails. It was a real deal. She paid for it and, and got her thing. But showing up at the last minute like that and then not having a flight to Paris, I think she had to get to a wedding. That's the worst. Then you're just left in the lurch and then she ended up getting another ticket from another <laughs> discount airline for 319 bucks, which is also seems like a steal. So at least she wasn't paying like thousands of dollars to get out of this. What happened? They said they sent out emails. It, it was like a total breakdown of communication between Level and their customers. And they said they sent out emails, but not everybody was getting them.
2: Exactly. I asked her to go back and check in her inbox and check in her junk mail, and she said she never got the cancellation. And one of the things she had done was, you know, like like many of us do, check in online before you go. She had an account set up with Level, and she went in and to try to check in, and she got as far as choosing her seat for the flight, and then she ran into an error page. But there was nothing when she checked into her account, and also notably, there's been nothing on Level's website to say uh, our service is delayed, so she thought everything was fine, and she said, you know... I got the cheapest available ticket. I didn't want to pay extra to pick a seat. And so she figured that's that's kind of where things went wrong and she'd sort it out at the airport.
0: What is the response by Level Bin? They said it was operational reasons. Uh, who knows what that means, but they did offer refunds or to move your flight if you could.
2: You know, one of the things I have to say in there and in, to their credit is they responded right away to my query. Um, they're based in Europe. The spokesman I I spoke with is based in France. And he he wrote back to me very late at night one night saying, yes, you're right. We actually postponed the launch for two weeks. To me, the reason this is an interesting story was it's not like, okay, airlines cancel flights all the time. You know, that happens, unfortunately, more than all of us would like. But this is like, oh, an airline had actually like put off a launch.
0: And everybody is looking for a deal. You know, you want something low cost. You want to be comfortable. You know, the seats are shrinking. There's all sorts of Problems happen. There's fights that happen on planes and everything. So you're always looking for a deal and a bargain. You want to be comfortable. And so much so that even the some of these customers that got affected by Level this time started Facebook pages and WhatsApp groups to express their grievances and try to get refunds and just kind of commiserate with each other
2: these flyers are pretty pretty active. So I found three Facebook groups and I read, I think, m- almost all of the comments on all of them to just to make sure it wasn't trolls or people trying to inflate numbers. Most of them are closed also so that you have to um, kind of explain why you're coming into the group. But yeah, people are really active. I mean, there was one flight, I think it was the flight out of Montreal, I think, which was, I, I spoke to so many people that um, had been delayed and they had boarded on the plane. They'd been on the plane for an hour and then they had to get off the plane and oh then they were put oh. up at a hotel and then they still didn't get an email. They got a piece of paper at the hotel the next morning, somewhat, one of the people told me, and saying, okay, you can do this or you can do this. Some people got emails that said your flight is canceled and, and nothing more.
0: Oh, like, man, that's the um, worst. Well, I mean, this is very much a, a cautionary tale and level It seems like had a very bumpy start to launching all of these transatlantic flights. Like I said, if it is too good to be true, it might be. But just do your research, look into it. And if it is a brand new thing, brand new airline, brand new uh, flight service, I would be extra cautious with finding out if I'm actually going to fly away somewhere. Sue Yoon, thank you for joining us. Business and tech reporter for ABC News. Thank you.